This is Art Matters. I'm Farron Gibson. This podcast is produced by Art UK, the online home of the UK's art collections. We're on the web at artuk.org and on social channels at artuk.org, spelling out the word dot. Be sure to rate this podcast on iTunes to let us know what you think. It helps other people find out about this series, and that means making more episodes for you. Maybe you only think about stamps when you need to pop a card to your gran on her birthday, but stamps have a rich visual history. Mind you, they only date back to the 19th century. Penny Black was issued in 1840, and it was issued for a year. Within that time, they printed roughly 68.5 million stamps. That's Paul Skinner, lead curator for philatelic collections at the British Library. The Postal Service went through a huge reorganisation that coincided with with the the Penny Black. And part of that reorganisation was to change the way that money was collected on letters that were posted. So previously, if you were sending a letter from, say, London to Edinburgh, the postage was paid by the person in Edinburgh who received the letter. And they had to pay the postman in cash, and then it was all had to be accounted for. So one of the ideas was by using stamps, people could put them on the letters and pay for them before the letters were posted. And so so that made the whole accountancy scheme uh, very much easier for the post office. Yeah, because I think you'd hate to get a letter if if when it arrived, you had to pay for it. You're like, I don't know if I want it that bad. Uh, Well, yes. And and there was quite a complicated system of charging the mail, and it was based on the distance that the letter travelled, and the number of sheets of paper that were actually used to write on. So that was quite a cumbersome method of doing it, whereas with the introduction of stamps, a penny stamp could carry a letter anywhere within within the kingdom. I'm thinking back foggily to my kind of American history studies, and I feel like there was a period where a stamp had to go on kind of every legal document at a point is or is there something to that yes those are a little bit different there are postage stamps that are obviously for use on letters and mail but also there's a wide range of things that that used to have revenue or tax stamps applied to them for a whole range of purposes prior to the advent of the stamp it might cost two shillings to send a letter from london to edinburgh in today's money that's equivalent to about six pounds or seven dollars fifty cents with the introduction of the stamp, letters up to 14 grams could be sent for just one penny. That's around 25 pence in today's money. Quite a difference. With the introduction of the uniform penny postage, Roland Till, who was the prime mover in, in this process, got together with the powers that be and they decided to hold a what was called a treasury competition in 1839. So this was open to the public for people to suggest designs as to what stamps or the means of carrying the mail might look like. Because if you think, nobody knew what a stamp was or what it, what it would look like. So there was a huge response from the public. There were uh, thought to be over between 2,600 and 2,700 entries. These had to be assessed. And although there were awards given, prizes given for, for the designs, none of the designs truly reflected what the, the stamp eventually looked like. It was down to Roland Hill and his associates to cobble together several of the design elements to come up with what eventually became the Penny Black. It must have been challenging to put out a call for something so conceptual. How do you frame a competition to create a thing that's never existed before? What were the specifications? 
some of the points that they had to consider were that the stamps had to be convenient for the use of the public. They had to be secure against forgery because they were very concerned that somebody would forge stamps on a large scale and defraud the post office. The stamps had to be readily distinguished in the post office. So, so in actual fact, there was a penny black and a tuppenny blue were issued at the same time. These had to be easy to be distinguished one from the other. And the expense of production circulation had to be reasonable on a reasonable scale. Even though the stamps were just a penny, one of the main deciding factors for a winning design was how well it could stand up to forgery. They tackled this in three principal ways, really. The main part of it was they decided that the best protection against forgery was to use a portrait on the stamp. And so they used a portrait of Queen Victoria because everybody would be familiar with a portrait of Queen Victoria from the coinage. And they used head designed by William Wyon, which was a portrait of Queen Victoria, uh, quite a young portrait of Queen Victoria. The other elements to it were the portrait was put onto a machine engraved background that would have been very hard to reproduce. And the lettering was also included in the design, which was another. So it was thought that these three different elements would be very difficult for somebody, an individual, to reproduce. The portrait idea was obviously a strong one because this legacy lives on in the current stamp design with Queen Elizabeth II designed by Arnold Maschen. When Elizabeth became queen in 1952, the new stamp design was based on a photograph by Dorothy Wilding. Some artists took issue with the stamp design and Maschen was eventually selected to design a new portrait for stamps in 1966, having previously designed a portrait of the queen for decimal coinage. To make the design, he created a relief sculpture in clay incorporating the same diadem that Queen Victoria wears on the penny black stamp. The penny black in Great Britain was the first postage stamp, but in the United States it started in a similar way with prestigious leaders and on our first two stamps it was George Washington and Benjamin Franklin who was our first postmaster general. That's Antonio Acala, art director for the United States Postal Service. For many years, it was pretty much isolated to politicians or leaders and their portraits. Late in the 19th century, the Postal Service started with a series of scenic stamps showing trains and other things. And uh, at first, they were quite unpopular. But eventually, people and collectors liked the new imagery. And it sort of remained in that engraving engraved scenes and portraiture for quite a number of years. And then later in the sort of latter half of the 20th century, the stamp program expanded extensively in terms of the type of imagery they were showing. One of the reasons for the development of more complex stamp designs around the world was the introduction of more sophisticated printing techniques. With better printing methods came more creative design possibilities. The printing processes available were intaglio, what was known as letterpress, or lithography. Intaglio was the best one out of the three. Letterpress was a sort of the middle range option, and lithography was the sort of the poor man of the three. In about um, the beginning of the 20th century, countries started to experiment with photogravure and photolithography, and gradually these processes came into play as well. 
And it was at that stage that design options improved dramatically. You could use photographic images rather than something that was drawn by an artist. Once you get to 1950, things really start taking shape because colour presses were introduced, processes were very much improved. And so, so you can get four or five and even more colour printings for stamps, which then show a whole range of images rather than just a monochromatic image. When we start talking about the look of stamps around the world, there's one interesting fact separating UK stamps from every other country that I never really noticed before. Because stamps were, were invented in this country, stamps that we use don't have a country name on them, whereas all the other countries in the world have to put the, the country name on um, according to rules laid down by the Universal Postal Union. Due to their international reach, stamps sort of function like little ambassadors for their countries. As such, they're taken very seriously as a reflection of national identity, especially in the 19th and early 20th centuries. Stamp designs would incorporate things that, you know, if, if it was from France, it might have the Eiffel Tower on or, um, you know, so something that, that would definitively express what its culture was and, and showing that they had a, a world presence. And it's quite often said that one of the important things that happened if a country was invaded, one of the first things they would do is issue postage stamps to say, look, we're here. The country's under a new rule. Because of this connection to national identity, you can probably imagine that there are guidelines to regulate the sorts of things that can be featured. For example, there used to be a rule in the UK that the only living person that could be featured on a stamp was the reigning monarch. That rule seems to have gone by the wayside a little bit. Certainly in the US, I know that a person has to be deceased for for at least ten years. Apart from former presidents, who only have to be have been dead for a year before they can be shown on stamps. I think the rules have relaxed a little bit um, over the years. So, with more relaxed rules and more sophisticated printing techniques, what are some of the subjects that one might find on stamps these days? I think the postal service works to what they call represent the best of America. And so that can mean many things, whether it is sports heroes and their accomplishments to visual artists and their creations to our natural landscapes that we have, national parks we have, literature. There's lots of different areas of American culture that uh, the Postal Service hopes to represent in their stamp programs. I Mm. sometimes mention how they're are few ways that a country gets branded through its flag or through its money, but postage stamps is another way where we can say something to the rest of the world about who we are and ideas that we believe in. As with many things, once you relax the rules a bit, there may be someone who pushes the boundaries a little too far, and that was the case in New Brunswick in 1860. The postmaster was a chap called Charles Connell, and they had a new issue of stamps that they wanted to commission. And one of the designs actually included his portrait on the stamp, which caused a huge furore, not only in New Brunswick, but also back in this country, because, you know, it was perceived that because New Brunswick was at that time part of the British Empire, that the only person who should be depicted on the stamp should have been Queen Victoria. And so... It ended up that Charles Connell had to resign and he actually bought the entire stock of stamps with his own money and he burnt them all. 
I think he could have just burned them for free, you know? <laughs> <laughs> there, there are like um, half a dozen or so, or a dozen so, so examples that have actually escaped and that actually exist. So it's, this is quite a, a prize stamp to have. This example shows why guidelines and a good design process are important. So let's have a look at how contemporary stamps are developed for the Royal Mail and the U.S. Postal Service. Royal Mail has about 2,000 proposals each year. And from that, they select about 12 ideas for commemorative issues that they might issue within a year. From that, they prepare a briefing document for each issue. And that is submitted to three different artists or designers. And they're asked to explore visually the different aspects of the subject. The submissions that they make are then sent to the Stamp Advisory Committee, who then make a choice as to what they think is the most suitable. And then that's the final approval that goes to the Queen. There's a similar committee process for the U.S. Postal Service, minus the step with the Queen, obviously. The Citizen Stamp Advisory Committee is a group of individuals from across the United States who generally have an expertise in a particular area or they're well recognized for particular achievements. They may be an Olympic gold medalist and have quite an extensive knowledge on sports, or they may be a historian with a particular interest in one aspect of the United States history, or they have expertise in philately, the collecting of postage stamps. So those people meet every quarter and they review all the suggestions for stamp subjects that have come in from the public through discussions. They then select what subjects will be made into postage stamps. Once the Postal Service has determined what stamps they want to issue in a particular year, then they will assign those stamps to one of the four art directors. And at that point, it becomes my job to decide how that stamp gets produced, whether it's photography or we hire an artist or some other solution. At this stage, there are a list of subjects for new stamps, but no designs. Next, it's the job of the art director to bring the subjects to life. A subject like the Music Icon series, which honors different Americans who've achieved uh, major accomplishments in the area of music, we know we'll want to use their image somehow on the stamp. Every fan will want to see a picture of their idol on, on the front of the stamp. So in an example like uh, the Jimi Hendrix stamp, then it's a question of, how will we do that? Will we use a photograph or will we choose an illustrator? Recently, there have been a few stamps that made me excited as an art lover. A stamp commemorating the work of Ellsworth Kelly was issued in the U.S. in May 2019, and a stamp marking 500 years since Leonardo da Vinci's death was issued in the U.K. in February 2019. In the case of an artist like Leonardo, whose work is out of copyright, using an artist's work on a stamp is less complicated. For in-copyright artists, postal services have to work with the estates of the artist to provide images or to collaborate on an appropriate design. I had the opportunity to do a series of stamps for what's called in these days as an outsider artist or known as a folk artist named Martin Ramirez. And I had to work with a gallery that was working on behalf of his estate to make sure that we were using imagery that we could get the rights and permissions to reproduce. Part of our, my initial designs involved uh, a portrait of the artist, but 
There were only three or four that were even known to exist, but because of legal reasons, we were unable to secure rights to reproduce any of those portraits. So the sheet was released just featuring the artwork of the artist. And then it's a matter of looking at the art and the examples that you have access to and deciding what might make a good stamp and what is true to that artist and that artist's vision in their way of creating artwork. On the flip side of this, there are examples where postal services have worked directly with living artists. Alphonse Mooker from, from Czechoslovakia, he designed the first issues of Czechoslovakia and a few of the later ones as well. This was 1918, uh, around the Art Nouveau period. And then in this country, we've had sort of after the Second World War and, and up into the 50s, people like Eric Gill, Dorothy Wilding, Edmund Dulac, all those people were involved in, in aspects of designing stamps. My question to you, because this must be something you think about a lot, is what makes a good stamp design? <laughs> it's a good question. And certainly if I was able to know instantly, I... You could, I, you could every, do a whole TED Talk on this. I that's think. right. <laughs> every stamp would be a big sellout. Uh, <laughs> it certainly varies. I mean, I think uh, a good stamp design is one that quickly and effectively communicates its subject in a compelling way that makes somebody want to look at it. Yeah. And it's such a small canvas, so it has to be, you know, detailed without being too detailed, I imagine. I often find that it's very difficult for artists and other people collaborating on a design to adjust their mindset that it's going to be reduced to a one inch by one inch or smaller square. It's very difficult. When we hire a new artist to undertake an assignment, one of the first things we tell them is to be aware that it, things do look very different when you're working at it at the size of your computer screen versus when you reduce it down. We also send them a template so they can see what their design may look like large, but also at actual stamp size so they can put it in. And I'm always encouraging my artists to print their art out at the actual stamp size so they can see. Oftentimes, people who are less experienced will include a lot of detail or the color work is such that when it gets reduced down, it either has too much detail or things blur or blend into together and aren't as clear and crisp as they are at a much larger size. The issue of scale can be quite challenging and there are methods of working that help preserve the details within the small canvas. Quite often stamp designers would work at the, the size of the stamp for their initial sketches. And then if they were accepted, they would then produce a piece of artwork that was four times the size that could then be reduced back down to stamp size to get the detail in, in that was required. We've been discussing individual stamp designs, but don't forget that these are intended to be mass-produced for public use. So how many stamps are printed for a given design? The Postal Service has some people there who determine how many numbers of particular stamps get produced. The stamps do get produced in numbers so that they can be available in every post office around the country. And the numbers can range from the tens of millions to the hundreds of millions. But the tens of millions is the low end? 
Yeah, I think that, that's amazing. Yeah, it's <laughs> a lot. It is. it is. There are a lot of stamps that get produced. Yeah, that's a good commission as an artist, I would say. Well, yes, it's a terrific commission. I mean, it's I haven't had an artist who said, no, I'm not interested in working on this because it's a great opportunity to have a piece of your artwork go across the country here from Alaska and Hawaii and California to Florida and New England. It's just, it's a tremendous opportunity. When we're talking sales figures in the tens of millions, they're all bestsellers as far as I'm concerned. But I wondered if there are any designs that really stand out in terms of demand. Here we have on occasion something called a semi-postal, which is a stamp that has a surcharge to it. Mm -hmm. And the surcharge will go to some sort of cause to help raise funds. A number of years ago, my fellow art director, Ethel Kessler, worked on a stamp that was a semi-postal to raise funds for breast cancer research. I believe they've sold over a billion stamps of wow. that one, and it's raised probably $100 million or so for breast cancer Wow. Research. So It's hard to think of a stamp being able to generate that much revenue just because, you know, stamps don't cost that much. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's very wow. true. It's been on sale continuously for... I don't know, 20 years or so. Yeah, that was my next question. Do you sometimes have to reprint stamps because they're so popular? That happens, but only on rare occasions these days. The email has taken a a large bite out of the traditional sort of first-class mail use in this country. And so the number of stamps we're producing has been falling, but I have had the experience of producing a stamp that did go back on press because the initial order was too small. Which stamp was that? That was a stamp commemorating the 150th anniversary of the issuing of the Emancipation Proclamation. This has been a lot of background in the history of stamps, and though we've mentioned a few examples like Ellsworth Kelly and Leonardo, there are many more examples of artworks on stamps. Art on stamps is is quite a large field of of material out there. So if anybody was interested in collecting paintings, an easier way to do it would be just collect stamps. That's it for this episode. There's a lot to cover with this topic, so if you'd be interested in us revisiting it at some point, send us a tweet using hashtag ArtMattersPodcast. Be sure to head over to ArtUK.org to see images relating to this discussion, and don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. As always, thank you for listening, and please join us again next time. <laughs>